Solomon Kinley in the backfield. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. And Tua throwing the other way to a wide open Durham Smythe for the touchdown. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Show. Diagnosis. Shotgun. Murray. Prognosis. Out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Osmos. Six seconds. Murray. Glad to have you with us on this magnificent Monday. If you're a Raider fan, maybe it's not so magnificent. Man, it has been crazy here the last few weeks and uh, more news coming down today with the Raiders. We'll get into all that with you. We'll recap what took place yesterday at the Meadowlands. And we warned you about it. We talked about it all last week that the Giants have been playing some pretty good football as of late. Probably should have beat Kansas City the week before. They were going to be ready for the Raiders. The Raiders coming off the bye week and, of course, everything else that has transpired uh, over the last six, seven days with the Henry Ruggs situation, Damon Arnett. So we have more news with that for you. Uh, Today you'll hear some sound from Mike Mayock, the general manager, who just spoke about two hours ago. We'll bring you some audio from Mike Mayock there. You'll hear from Derek Carr, the Raiders quarterback. Uh, as well, and uh, Rich Basaccia, the head coach of the Raiders, and Darren Waller, the Raiders tight end as well. So we've got plenty of Raiders talk today, plenty of Raiders coverage as we talk about what took place yesterday in the Meadowlands as the Raiders fall to the Giants 23-16. to We've got that. Then, of course, as you know, Saturday night I was at Canelo and Plant, uh, 16,000-plus, a sellout, the MGM Grand Garden Arena Saturday night. We will recap that, relive that, and again, just a, another exciting fight uh, here in Vegas uh, with Canelo Alvarez. Every time Canelo is in town, it is an electric atmosphere and a fantastic fight. And once again, Canelo lived up to the billing, taking care of Caleb Plant, pretty much just as we had talked about all last week, that this was had all the makings to be a one-sided fight. And of course, uh, that's exactly what happened. So... We will talk about that, Saturday night's fight, where Canelo Alvarez delivers an 11th round knockout to Caleb Plant. Uh, Two knockdowns in the 11th round. First time Caleb Plant has ever been knocked down, but then again, first time Caleb Plant has ever gotten the ring with someone like Canelo Alvarez. So uh, Marquise Johns, the editor of Big Fight Weekend, he will uh, join us um, a little bit later on next hour as uh, we talk about that. So actually this hour we'll we'll talk about that with uh, Marquise Johns. So he will join us there. Three o'clock, Kevin Kruger is going to join us, the UNLV head coach. Love talking to Kevin. As you know, I think the last time that we talked to Coach Kruger was during our song fest when uh, he chimed in. When we did uh, our, our, our favorite songs, best songs, going back a, a few months uh, ago. Nubchuck, how well do you remember Kevin Kruger's go-to song? Now, when we have our regular guests on, you seem to remember because you play their songs. Do I need to tell you? Are you going to have his song ready when we bring him on next hour? Okay, yeah, Kevin Kruger. Be making his UNLV head coaching debut Wednesday night as UNLV will take the floor for the very first time this season, taking on Gardner-Webb. All right, Gardner-Webb at a little small town in North Carolina. I think it's Bowling Springs, North Carolina. Gardner Webb. There we go. Oh, look at you. See, you know, I think you had to look it up. I think you had to look it up. There's a little teaser. Kevin Kruger's song there. Exactly. All right. So we'll talk UNLV hoops. It is that time to start talking uh, about UNLV hoops here. And lo and behold, the Rebels football team gets a win. Now, the game was virtually a pick 'em, and we figured that UNLV. I don't want to say would beat New Mexico, but they did. They got their first victory. So happy for Marcus Arroyo and that staff. But still, it's one victory. Still pretty sad. And probably the only victory that will happen this year. But uh, it's, it sounds terrible that we even got to say, oh, baby steps here. That's ridiculous. For a Division One football program to be celebrating your first victory of the season, 
And the second weekend in November, no good. No good. But you're expected to beat New Mexico. I don't care where you're playing them at. So congratulations to the Rebels for that. But basketball should be bright. Should be bright and uh, very excited for Kevin Kruger. So he'll join us next hour. As will Matthew Holt from U.S. Integrity. And we talk about uh, what happened at the Sportsbook yesterday. And 9-3 and three were the underdogs barking again with seven outright winners. And as you know, we had a few of those outright winners as well, too, from our Best Bet segment at the Cosmopolitan last Friday. So Matt Holt will join us. So action-packed show coming your way. And if you've got some thoughts regarding the Raiders or anything else, give us a call. 702-221-7283. 702-221-7283. And... Uh, Tell us what your eyes saw yesterday's game at the Meadowlands as the Raiders lose to the Giants 23-16. to All right, so let's talk about the game. Three turnovers. That was the demise. It wasn't about were the Raiders ready to play because everything that transpired going back to last Monday, the Henry Ruggs situation, you know, just driving like a madman, Drunk, killing a female motorist and her dog. Tragic. And we talked all about that last week. It was horrific. Horrendous. But the Raiders had a lot on their plate, of course. How are they going to respond? And these guys are professional athletes, especially dealing with losing your head coach three weeks ago. You had to come off of that. You go back to even three months ago where they lost their the president, all right, Mark Bedane, and the, you know, going through these situations has been horrendous. And then Friday we get the news that Damon Arnett, uh, you know, video surfaced and a story uh, surfaced back from last year when not only did he get in an automobile accident heading into the Raiders facility there in Henderson, but that he had an altercation with a valet attendant at the Aria where he brandished a gun and was arguing because he couldn't find his claim ticket. So that news broke down on Friday. Good friends from Channel 13 came down and and talked to us at the Cosmopolitan. Uh, If you saw that that coverage of Channel 13. Well, not us, but I mean, okay, gotcha. Uh, You know, I'm a team guy. I like to say us. So, you know, me is us. That's it. So anyway, uh, today we have news that uh, Mike Mayock called a sudden press conference and decided to release Damon Arnett, the first-round pick from 2020, after video surfaced this past weekend of Arnett making death threats and brandishing the firearm, uh, as we talked about. So we'll get into all that. But all that chaos, all that turmoil that took place last week, in my opinion, really did not have that much to do or really anything to do with how they played against the Giants. Yes, they're coming off a bye week. Going to be a little bit rusty. You know, we've seen a lot of teams coming off bye weeks that are rusty. You've got, you're traveling to the East Coast, all right? You got the morning game, all of that stuff, right? But the bottom line was Derek Carr. Even though he looked good at times, he was the cause of some bad turnovers yesterday. Two interceptions for Carr. Raiders also had a fumble. They were outscored 13-3 to in the second half. Let's talk about the second half possessions. All right, we go back to the first half, though, real quick. And the Raiders' first possession, what happened? Boom, 7 nothing, just like that. Giants get the ball. They tie it up. Boom, 7-7. So it looks like, okay, this is going to be a football game. But the second half possessions, that's where this game was lost for the Raiders. Here were their second half possessions yesterday. All right? They get the kickoff to start the third quarter. On their third play, Car interception, boom, return for a touchdown. So they have an interception, they get a field goal, then you have a missed field goal, then you have another interception, and their final possession, they have a fumble. So think about that. You've got three turnovers all in the second half and a missed field goal. You have no touchdown drives whatsoever. You don't even have a punt in there. You got a missed field goal. And that's your game right there. You got to travel 3,000 miles back home with a bad loss. 
and the taste of your mouth as they lose to the Giants by a touchdown, 23-16, and the Raiders had a lot of opportunities. Yes, there was a lot of skepticism going into this game. Like we mentioned, rugs, Arnett, bye week, travel, but the bottom line is this. Raiders beat themselves. They outgained the Giants yesterday, 403-245. to Raiders had 117 yards rushing yesterday. Now, I know this is not a ground-and-pound type of team. You've got Josh Jacobs, you've got Kenyon Drake, but you know this isn't the Tennessee Titans with Derrick Henry. All right, They're a pass-first type of team. And Carr had 286 yards passing yesterday through the air. And the Raiders had good balance. But the bottom line is, inside the red zone, they were downright awful yesterday. That was the difference of the game. Outgained the Giants. Like I said, 403 to 245. Daniel Jones was singing some Daniel Jones praise last week because of how well he played against the Chiefs. But more importantly, the reason why the Giants played so well against the Chiefs last week was because of their defense. And they really bottled up Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And they did that again this week to the Raiders. So kudos to the Giants defensively. You can say what you want, that this isn't a very good defensive football team, but the bottom line is the Giants scheme well on the defensive side of the ball. They did it to Kansas City. They did it to Carolina a couple weeks ago where they blasted them 25-3, to and they played Kansas City well, should have won that game, and then they beat the Raiders. And the Giants really haven't been very good at home at all this year. And Daniel Jones wasn't great. I mean, think about this. Daniel Jones completed 15 of 20 passes, but only for 110 yards. That was it. When was the last time you heard of a quarterback winning a game with only 110 yards? He had one touchdown pass, but more importantly, he had no interceptions for the Giants yesterday. The Giants are an improving team, but this is still a game where the Raiders should have won. No excuses whatsoever. All right? Carr, 30 for 46, throwing for 296. One touchdown, two interceptions, but the problem with Derek Carr yesterday was the decision-making. That was a problem. Here's Derek Carr talking about putting the blame on himself. We moved the heck out of the ball. You know, we had things that we wanted, um, and uh, we just can't turn the ball, can't turn the ball over. Um, you know, can't throw interceptions. Uh, the strip at the end, I didn't see the guy. I was throwing the ball to Darren in the end zone. Um, I didn't see him, but the, you can't turn the ball over. That's why we lost the game. I mean... We come out and we we fight at the end. We get a touchdown. We get, you know, we win the game. We're talking about different stuff, you know, and not certain emotions and all that kind of stuff. Um, at the end of the day, we're football players, so we play football, you know. Um, but uh, just can't turn it over. Honestly, at the end of the day, we just need to be better uh, as players. Coaches did a great job. Uh, all of those things. I got to be better. This one's on me. All right, Derek Carr putting the onus on himself. You, you love Derek Carr, and we always talk about this, for the type of guy that he is, that he'll address the media. He has no problem taking blame himself. And he's a fun guy to be around. He loves to talk and everything. But the bottom line is, this is the reason why the Raiders haven't been successful. Sure, probably doesn't have the, the weapons around him that he necessarily needs, you know, especially now that you know, he lost the, the speed of, of Henry Ruggs. But you know he does make some mistakes at times, and in games when he probably shouldn't. We've seen all, we've seen the slow starts going back to the first two home games this year. You know those those quick uh, you know interceptions that he threw in the first quarter, and uh, again the decision making in the fourth quarter was the problem yesterday. Here's Carr talking more about the distractions. Um, you know whether it was a factor in the loss or not. Uh, to be honest, like focused on football. Um... It's weird, you know, and, and f- when you go to practice and you go to meetings and all those things, 24 hours sometimes feels like a week, you know. Um, you know, Wednesday practice and Thursday is such, such a heavy workload and such taxing mentally um, that, that honestly it feels like a, a really a long time. And so um, I thought mentally we were ready. Uh, myself, I was ready to go. I was excited just to play football, you know, and uh, um I don't think that emotions or anything like that were uh, into it. You know, the um, what's it called? The the second interception. Zay ran a double move. I tried to fit it in before the safety got there. He got there. That had nothing to do with emotion. <laughs> you know, that just that was a decision that I made, and it, uh, it didn't work out. Oh yeah. I mean, if I wrote down the list of things that 
I could be thinking about before every game in my eight years, um, you know, it'd be a pretty good story, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I, that's just not the case. You know, when, when it's football, like you said, we're playing football. Let's keep it to football um, because that's the reason we lost. We They played better than us. I turned the ball over, um, and that's it. All right, uh, Derek Carr talking about that. You know, obviously in the press conference after the game yesterday, everyone wanted to talk about, okay, what were the emotions like? Uh, the situation with Ruggs uh, leading into it. Uh, Derek Carr addressed that about missing Henry Ruggs on the field and off the field. Certain, uh, certain the way people play certain coverages and things like that, you know, um, you know, but that's whether he's in the game or he's not in the game, you know. And so I've seen that uh, with that kind of speed, obviously. You know, it's just you have to do different things. Um, but uh, it wasn't anything like out of the blue or anything crazy or anything like that. But um, – I, I miss him. I love him. But, you know, like when we went out there today, we you know, we still almost threw for 300. Almost ran, We ran the ball efficiently with explosives and stuff like that. We just turned the ball over. All right. For Raider fans, it was very frustrating to watch this game, especially in the second half with the mistakes that they made. Uh, here's Carr talking about the frustration level uh, of the team on the field. I'm an emotional player, you know, so any game, if I miss a pass or you know, I'm going to be mad or if I make a good throw, I'm going to yell at somebody, not taunt, but, you know, get excited. Um, uh, but, you know, that, that's just how I play. Um, but emotionally, it wasn't like we are thinking about anything else. I was just I'm, – I'm so into the game and the game plan and all that kind of stuff. My mind can't be anywhere else. All right, there's Derek Carr talking about the frustration level that the team had, that he had a little bit. And again, more frustrated about you know what he did himself instead of what led up to the week. All right, now the, the team obviously has to move on from this loss and not have a carryover effect because they got the Kansas City Chiefs at Allegiant Stadium on Sunday night football. Here's Derek Carr talking about that and looking ahead. Yeah, I just keep going. You know, you know me. I'm going to keep going. I, I didn't prepare any differently. Um, you know, I... I try and be a model of consistency, not for anybody else, but so I can tell my kids how the right way to do it, you know. And so, you know, you go out and almost complete them all, and it's like, keep it up. And then you go out there and you have a rough day turning the ball over. It's, I'm not going to change. You know, I'm going to try and learn from those mistakes, not have to force it with six minutes left and things like that. Um, but I, I have a good process, and our coaches have a good process. But um, it just comes down to what we believe, and it was, it's all about the ball. And that's why we lost. Please just talk about me turning the ball over. You know, the Raiders are, are, were happy to leave New Jersey yesterday, even though they, they got the loss, though, but just the questions. And, you know, the Raiders are off, you know, today and tomorrow. They're going to come back Wednesday. Obviously, there are going to be some more of those questions from the media about, you know, last week and especially in the news today that Damon Arnett is gone as well, too. But that's what every one of these players wants to do is to move on from this and talk about football. You got a game where you should have won yesterday. You could have been six and two. Now you're five and three. Now you got the Kansas City Chiefs coming in. The game has been circling the calendar for a long, long time. You've got to be ready to play the Kansas City Chiefs. And again, no excuses here. Going back to last year here at Allegiant Stadium, the Raiders should have won that game. Probably outplayed the Chiefs for probably 50, 53, 54 minutes of that game last year. So that's where the, their focus needs to be, and that's what they want. They don't want to hear about this past week. They don't want to hear about this Giants loss. They don't want to hear about you know having to play without Ruggs and, and, and Arnett. Uh, this team needs to focus on football. But but kudos for the Raiders, including their head coach, uh, Rich Passaccia, for addressing this because they know they have to address these situations, especially considering the team coming off the bye week and considering the Henry Ruggs situation that took place. Here is interim head coach Rich, Rich Passaccia talking about playing without Ruggs yesterday. Yeah, I, I don't think that's part of it. You know, we had, the, we had a big explosive with Waller down there, and then we had the other one late that we ended up getting a 15-yard penalty on for going down there to um, – Push the pocket a little bit at the end, you know, push the run. But even on defense, some of the explosives that we ended up doing a good job there, we had a 15-yard penalty, the hand in the head, and um, I think we had another one late, you know, two of those on, on uh, Hobbs. So they eliminated some of the explosives that we actually did have by some of the uncharacteristic penalties. We haven't had those in the last two weeks. All right, and the explosive plays were not there. And you expect to get that, you know, when you had rugs and you say, okay, who was going to be that guy? It was going to be Zay Jones, right? Zay Jones, but... He really didn't step up, you know. He 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 had uh, like three or four targets where 
you know, he, he didn't come through, and he's a young player. So the explosive plays, definitely not there yesterday. Overall, the Raiders had a lot of lack of execution. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, you answered the question. I think we certainly we didn't execute the way we have been. Um, I thought we had a really good week of practice, as we talked about during the week. We just we were off a little bit on some of those uh, throws, and, and um, we just didn't execute the way we have been. All right, here's Rich Passaccia also talking about Derek Carr not having one of his best games yesterday. I think last time we played, you made mention, you know, he's 31-34, and, and uh, I don't know what the exact stat is right here. But, um, you know, again, I know there's some plays out there he'd love to have back, but I, I didn't feel like it was maybe off the word or um, you know, certain throws go certain ways, and sometimes they're a little high or low, or a lot of guys make those catches. So, again, we just didn't execute on either end. All right, and Basaccia did address the emotional factor of uh, of the Raiders and what this uh, you know what this week was all about you know for them coming up here. You saw it on the field. We we didn't see there any being any issues with their emotions or any issues with their resilience or any issues with their effort or any issues with their attitude or their poise or the way in which they represented um, their team today. I, I thought that was all good. All right, head coach Rich Passaccia. And finally, talking about coming off that bye week, uh, a very emotional week, a lot of you know stuff that, that happened on the side. Like I said, we, again, talking about rugs, talking about the Arnett situation. Here are his thoughts about the entire week. I thought we came off the bye, and we went through some extenuating circumstances on Monday, but they came back Wednesday to practice, um, and they practiced extremely hard through a full pad of practice. thought it got better as the week went on. Really excited about the way Friday's practice ended. We came up here, we had... No issues in meetings, and uh, again, I, I thought they represented them, themselves and their team really well out there today with their effort. We've all been emotionally impacted by what happened in that particular situation. But again, as the week went on, I feel like the men that are in that locker room right now um, collectively and individually got themselves to the point where what they do best is play football. And I thought they came here today and they played football, and they played it well. And again, we just didn't execute to the point that where we have been the last two weeks or in a place that we would like to. And um, certainly we'll get back on a plane and address it tomorrow. All right. In hearing that, in watching the game, I, I, I firmly believe that, you know, these guys are professional athletes. And, again, they, just, they got outplayed yesterday. They shot themselves in the foot. They made some mistakes, especially in the second half. But, you know, they went through a trying week. No question about it. But did that really have an effect on the outcome? Probably not. Here's tight end Darren Waller talking about how he handled this rough week and it and asked if it had any effect on the overall outcome for the loss to the Giants yesterday. I mean, I feel like we did a great job of locking in at practice this week. Uh, I just feel like it was things that happened in the game that that made the difference. I don't think it had anything to do with the practice or the preparation. Uh, you know, guys reacted to it a lot of different ways, but I didn't see anything in practice that had me worry going into the game. It was uh, turnovers. Uh, you know, there are a couple shots, at least with me, that down in the red zone. That's like, you know, we gotta, we gotta make those count. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, everybody had a, a play in their phase, but you know, it's, it's plays that need to be made that didn't get made by us. All right, Darren Waller talking a little bit more about uh, the emotional factor of playing without Henry Ruggs and everything they went through this week. I mean, I'm sure it's different on a lot of individual bases, you know. Um, it was a lot of emotional weight on me, but um, I felt like I did a good job of coming into this game ready to play. Um, you know, different guys may react individually, but I feel like with the practice that we had this week, I feel like guys were f- focused on the game and came in with a, with a solid mindset. All right. Uh, Waller's thoughts on the frustration on the field and the lack of execution that was noticeable yesterday. I mean, there's, there's probably frustration for sure, but I don't think it was frustration to the point of finger-pointing or, or blaming anybody or people just checking out. It was just natural frustration of, you know, this is we got to make these plays if we want to continue to go where we want to go. So um, I feel like morale was still good, but uh, definitely frustrating. All right, and finally from Darren Waller, describing the past few weeks, starting with John Gruden being let go, and then, of course, the Henry Ruggs situation this week. What was this past week for Darren Waller? Uh, yeah, I mean, personally, it's definitely blown me back a bit, you know, because Coach Gruden was somebody that risked, uh, you know, a chance of bringing me in uh, to give me a chance to play football again. And then Henry is somebody that everybody liked, not just because he was, you know, the fastest person you've ever seen run on the field, but 
you know, he was a good person and a respectful person, somebody that you like to be around on a daily basis. So it is shocking. You know, it does hurt a little bit, but, um, you know, all we can do is the best we can to move forward and focus on football. Um, nobody asked for this, but at the same time, you know, as far as training and resilience and adversity, I feel like we're getting the best practice and training you could possibly get in that. So we just got to keep moving forward. All right, the Raiders made two moves today. Okay, they released Damon Arnett, first-round pick in 2020, after video surfaced this past weekend of Arnett making death threats while brandishing uh, a gun. Um, Remember, he had the accident last year that we talked about in front of the Raiders facility. Uh, Just not a good sign. So today, Mike Mayock uh, made the move, made the decision to release Damon Arnett. Here is Mike Mayock talking earlier about why he released Damon Arnett. Um, today, today we waived Damon Arnett. Um, very painful decision. We spent significant time, effort, and resources trying to help him in all facets of his life. There have been a series of bad decisions over the last year or so, but we can't stand, we cannot stand for the video of Damon with a gun threatening to take a life. The content was unacceptable. Contrary to our values, and our owner, Mark Davis, has been very clear and very consistent that this is not how we will conduct ourselves in this community. The bottom line, the Raiders will not tolerate this type of behavior. On a personal note, I've talked to Damon, his dad, a couple others in his life. From my perspective, he's a very talented young man with a good heart. If he cleans up his life, I know he can make a living in the NFL. But not now with the Raiders. All right, Mike Mayock talking about releasing Damon Arnett. And if anyone has seen the video of him carrying this firearm, it's just not a gun. I mean, it looks like a machine gun or something. It looks like something out of a movie. But again, this is who he is. All right, Damon Arnett had problems when he was Ohio State. Mike Mayock was aware of this, and he admits that, you know, they missed on this guy. They missed on him. It was very controversial taking this guy that high. Just the Raiders want high-character guys, and you can say what you want. You know, last week we had to answer all these questions about, hey, being in Las Vegas, is it, is it too big for these guys you know, to, to come out of college and, and to play in Las Vegas where it's a 24-7 town, all that sort of thing? Well, Damon Arnett, I, I, I don't know if he would be successful in life wherever he went, but this is a guy that Mike Mayon admittedly missed on, plain and simple. This guy's a bonehead. Henry Ruggs, Josh Jacobs have made bonehead decisions, mistakes, but Arnett... This is ridiculous. You're going and you're arguing with a valet person. You are basically leaving the scene of a crime uh, when you you, you you drive into your training facility at 65 miles per hour, and then you have somebody else try to ha- handle your, your business for you, a friend. Uh, just nonsense. And then brandishing a weapon, and then there's a video out there with it. Insane. Insane. You got to cut loose. And if you're Mark Davis... Poor Mark Davis having to deal with these goofballs and these idiotic decisions, and then one after another. But, again, questionable draft picks, questionable decisions. And Mike Mayock, a lot of people are thinking, well, it's his job on the line here. It could be. It could be. And I know Mark Davis likes Mike Mayock, but the bottom line is he loved John Gruden as well, too. And you got to do what you got to do. So we'll see how the rest of this plays out. So Mayock also made another move today. Aside from releasing Damon Arnett, good riddance, they signed Deshaun Jackson today. Now, Jackson has traveled around the league, as you know, uh, waved by the Rams last week. Just basically, it was nothing anything that Deshaun Jackson did. Just Deshaun Jackson, actually, when he played, was pretty darn good. I mean, he had a big reception for a near touchdown last week in the Rams' victory. But he's got a crowded wide receiving room over there in in Los Angeles with the Rams. So Deshaun Jackson signed a contract today. He was in the building, signed his contract, trying on helmets. He's happy to be a member of the Silver and Black. As you know, Deshaun Jackson's a Bay Area guy. He went to Cal. He's always loved the Raiders. Well, Deshaun Jackson, uh, 
he's had some problems, as we know, off the field as well. Deshaun Jackson is a guy that likes to run his mouth. How is he going to fit in with this team? But this is another lease on life for him. I mean, his playing days are coming down to to an end here as well. Maybe he has one or two seasons left. But if he's healthy, he could be that deep threat that the Raiders want. People talked about Odell Beckham Jr. We said stop that nonsense last week. Deshaun Jackson, possibly he's a better uh, alternative than OBJ. No doubt about that. But you're hoping maybe Zay Jones could be your speedster. He could be the burner. He could be the go-route guy. He could maybe be that, that guy that you can get on crossing routes. But you know what? He didn't play well yesterday against the Giants. So now you got to bring in Deshaun Jackson and see what he's got. So it'll be interesting. He's a big-time name, a former pro bowler. The guy can play. But uh, is he going to be able to be patient enough? Because we, as we've seen with a lot of wide receivers, it is the diva position. We know that Deshaun Jackson has been very, very vocal with coaches and quarterbacks if he's not getting the ball enough. Well, Deshaun Jackson, if he can get in tune with the Raiders system, we'll see if he'll be a force. And we expect him to play Sunday night against the Kansas City Chiefs. So he's here. He's in town. He's signed. He's ready to go. But a big day for the Raiders today just uh, with... Again, releasing Damon Arnett, signing Deshaun Jackson, and then talking about the loss that occurred yesterday. A game they should have won. They, you could make the argument they outplayed the Giants, they outgained the Giants, but they succumb and they lose by seven to the New York Giants because of three bad turnovers yesterday in the second half of that game. All right, when we come back, we turn our attention to what we saw Saturday night at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Canelo Alvarez put on quite a show again. Marquise Johns is going to join me for Big Fight Weekend. We'll discuss Canelo Alvarez being the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. This is boxing referee Kenny Bayless, and what I say you must obey. So be sure to catch up with the broadcast at tcmartinshow.com. Vicious shots to the body, and the plan is not the same way we just got hurt. Canelo Alvarez pummeling Caleb Plant in that 11th round. Two knockdowns, which you just heard in a 20-second span. And Canelo becomes the first undisputed super middleweight champion of the world and unifying the division and having now all four major championship belts in the super middleweight division. All right. Bottom line is, Canelo Alvarez dominated this fight much the way we kind of handicapped it all last week. He hurt Plant with body shots. Uh, left hook was downright lethal. The jab, he was getting off first the majority of the time. Uh, had some punishing overhand rights. Uh, the variety of shots that Canelo was uh, dishing out to Caleb Plant was phenomenal. Uh, 53 of his 117 shots that he landed were to the body. Just vicious body punching that we see with Canelo time and time again. Caleb Plant, not ready for any of that. And how about this percentage? Canelo Alvarez landed 41% of his body shots. That's right. So a fantastic, typical Canelo Alvarez performance. All right, so we were there. It was fantastic. Uh, 16,000. 586 sellout crowd at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. And let's bring in uh, my good friend Marquise Johns, who is the editor-in-chief of Big Fight Weekend. And Marquise joins us every now and then. Actually, last time we had Marquise on, he was here in town, uh, you know, covering the fight and at the Cosmopolitan. Marquise, what's going on, brother? Pretty good, TC. Just coming up a weekend where Canelo Alvarez spent 11 rounds pretty much being a secret assassin against Caleb Plant. What a performance by that guy, seriously. Yeah, well, you know, Marquise, it was the typical 
clinic put on by Canelo Alvarez, a schooling, as I like to call it. And, you know, basically these guys are at totally different levels. And you know, we talked about this last week where, I mean, Canelo is Canelo and Caleb Plant has never been in the ring with anyone that has the arsenal or the experience that Canelo Alvarez has. And it showed. And we knew that it was just a matter of time before Canelo disposed of him and he won the fight, uh, you know, rather handily. Absolutely, DC. And the one thing I thought that was very interesting from Plant's standpoint just in the fight was the fact that he was throwing punches off the ropes, but he was only throwing, and you were, and you were there obviously Saturday, he was only throwing, especially in the middle rounds, one punch at a time. That's not going to beat anybody, let alone Canelo. And that was just the one thing I thought that was really alarming more than anything else. But part of that may have been because of the fact that uh, he couldn't hit Canelo as well, but it, 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 was, just, it was definitely levels on Saturday. And I'm, Geez, at, at this point, TC, I'm really intrigued that uh, where does Canelo go from here? Because anyone facing Canelo at, at this juncture uh, is automatically the B side at this point, and it's going to be that way for a long time, long time at this point as well. And then the thing with Canelo is, and we talk about this all the time, is that you know he's cleaned up the divisions. He's cleaned up every division he's been at, whether it's 154, going up to 160, 168, 175, you know, and having a couple fights at 175. And then we took on Kovalev, who had plenty of punching power. I mean, it's just one of these things where you know Canelo has faced everybody he could possibly face. He hasn't ducked anybody, even though he's you know changed uh, promotional companies a couple different times here. He was kind of locked into this that DAZN deal, which was just a horrific, uh, horrendous you know deal for DAZN, having to pay Canelo all, all the all the money that they had to pay him. And uh, you know now he's willing to take on all of Al Heyman's guys and dispose those guys. But just you know to. To bring in a guy like Caleb Plant, I mean, really, it was no different than some of the other Ham and Eggers that he's fought before. But it's not like there's anybody else that could really challenge him. And I know that we can get into the discussion about what's next about Charlo and Benavidez. But, you know, for me, Marquise, it, it doesn't matter. Those guys are, are better fighters than Caleb Plant. But at the, at the end, I think the result will be the same. For, for Canelo Alvarez, because he's a generational fighter. He's a guy that, that we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, for, for decades and decades to come. Uh, you know, he's that historic kind of fighter. And I do not see this guy losing another fight in his professional career. At this point, TC, I don't see it uh, pretty much with the opponents being lined up or even named lined up next at, at all either. You know what, TC, with Canelo, uh, at this point, he's beat the video game, right? Yep. So at this point, he's playing it again for the side quest to see what keys he left out, you know, what hidden gems or items at this point. But for all intents and purposes, TC, there is no one else out there. I don't. You can line them up. You can name them. I've been hearing they, they keep throwing Triple G's name out there. There better be about 175. That I heard Beevil. Name them. It doesn't matter. They're not, they're not beating Canelo at this point in juncture. And, and the bigger thing I always wonder at this point, because as you mentioned, Canelo is a generational guy. And the question now becomes, uh, at this point, where do you put – T, uh, Canelo TC in terms of Mexican all-timers now as, as opposed to who, who's he fighting next. Eventually, it, it will be number one overall. And you can make the argument about a, a bit better than Julio Cesar Chavez who probably you know is, uh, is at the top. You know, Barrera mm-hmm. and, you know, Marquez, all of those guys. But no, you know why, Marquise? Because Canelo has done it at a high level and right now he has one loss on his ledger, and that's it. And, and Chavez didn't even have that. You know, he, he had he had several losses, especially you know l- later on in his career, and probably hung on too mm-hmm. long. But yeah, I will go Canelo, and because I don't, I see him really having the only loss when he's when he's going to retire. It probably will be against Mayweather, and it's too bad because he fought Mayweather when he was twenty three years old, and Mayweather kind of handpicked him at that point in time. I think you'll agree with me if Mayweather would have fought Canelo, you know, two three years after that. It would have been a different scenario, and you know Floyd probably wouldn't have elected to fight him. Same thing he did with Pacquiao. He wanted to wait, 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 uh, you know, for Pacquiao, and then we finally got that fight. But you know, for Canelo Alvarez, think about this, man. The last sixteen fights, he's unbeaten, unbeaten. Plain and simple. He had the one draw in there against Golovkin, and that's questionable. Some people want to think, "Well, Golovkin won the fight." I thought that Canelo won the fight, but be it a draw, that's fine. And he definitely took care of business with Triple G. When they, when they fought again to to dispel a, another fight there, so yeah, uh, for for me, number one of, of of all time as far as you know Mexican fighters, it's Canelo Alvarez, and even if he probably takes another loss before he retires, I still say Canelo over Julio Cesar Chavez or any of the other guys we we're talking about. 
at this point, I think you have to at this point, only because of the resume. And the one thing with Canelo that you can save as opposed to a Chavez or somebody else where Canelo's fighting who's in front of him. That's the one thing that you can't, you couldn't say about Chavez when he was fighting random guys. At one point, people were saying he was fighting cab drivers. Probably was. Uh, this is totally different. And uh, the one thing with Canelo that I do like to see more than anything else, especially with this performance also, is that he showed something different. He was throwing left hooks to the body against Plant, which we didn't see against uh, Callum Smith because that was the one comparable that people were throwing at people in terms of a, a pre-fight uh, analysis in terms of uh, what's the best matchup style for it. People were saying like uh, Canelo would be like would would beat Plant uh, similar way he beat, beat Billy Joe Saunders, and in a way with that first knockdown, TC he did. And, and I, I mean, at this point, there really isn't anybody else out for this man, and that's what makes it so great. And it, that's that's why everyone just wants to see him fight more and more often than anything else. And that's why he probably is the most active fighter at, at, on the planet at this point. Yep, absolutely. And you know, going back to the body shots here, here's what I've always loved about Canelo is that. He has a game plan for every fighter, and he does not fight every guy the same way. And with Plant, he's a taller guy, and he's susceptible to body shots. And he's never felt those type of uh, crushing blows from anybody else. And Canelo made it a point to just rip him to the body. The left hook was phenomenal. And then when he softened him up with that, here comes the overhand rights. But then, again, like I said at the beginning, he really set the tone by doubling up the jab early on and and just doing whatever he wanted to do. Whatever was available that he saw there, he took care of it, whether it's it, it's it's uh, it's ripping the hook or coming with the overhand right or putting those those flurries and combinations together. I mean, it was it was a thing of beauty, like we're accustomed to seeing with Canelo Alvarez. He put on a boxing clinic against a guy that just could not match up with him whatsoever. Not at all, and for, for and it's interesting also TC as well. Considering what Plant tried to do in this fight, uh, he he actually had some success early on. Uh, he just I don't know what his game plan was after it. Get, uh, yeah, the, as the old cliche goes, TC, uh, people have a plan until you get hit in the face or hit in the mouth, as, as the great Mike Tyson once quoted. And I think that's kind of what happened here because the one thing that Plant was doing, even though he was being backed into the ropes pretty much the entire fight, he was trying to pull his jab out. It wasn't the best looking jab in the world on television. You were there, so. I, I'm guessing it didn't look any better uh, visually. But the one thing that I thought was really interesting that Plant really did try to do was try to use his size. It just wasn't good enough for Canelo. Yeah, uh, agreed. And the thing is, with, uh, with Plant, he was game. And I'll give him credit for that. I mean, he was game. Yeah. He came forward, especially earlier on. But then when he started you know, feeling some of those body shots, then he backed off. And you saw that his pace really slowed down from round five on. But I will give Caleb Plant yeah. credit because, again, he didn't, he didn't run. He stood toe-to-toe. And, again, really probably not the best plan of attack to go against Canelo Alvarez. But he was, he was a game fighter. And, you know, Marquise, when we have such a, a clinic like this with Canelo and it becomes a one-sided fight, you know, we, we can praise Canelo all we want, uh, and we have to find other aspects really to kind of talk about here. And we say that Plant was game, Canelo was fantastic, but if we got to pick something apart here, I got to pick apart some of the judges' scorecards here. Actually, just specifically one, because I think Steve Weisfeld had it perfectly. He scored it just like I did, 98-92. I mean, Canelo Alvarez won just about every one of those rounds. And you can give Caleb Plant round one, which is a toss-up. It's not like, you know, Plant came out aggressive, and Canelo, like he always does, feels out his opponent. So it's it's kind of normal for Canelo to maybe give up an early round like that. So that's fine. And Canelo took round nine off, and he did kind of a little bit of rope-a-dope and allowed Plant to score some shots. Nothing really phased Canelo, but rounds one and nine, and that was it. If you look at... Uh, uh, Patricia Jar- uh, Morse-Jarman's scorecard here. I don't know what fight she was watching because she had a 96-94 where she gave uh, Caleb Plant winnings rounds 4 and 10, and no way in the world did Caleb Plant win uh, win those rounds. And the other judges, like I said, had it you know pretty pretty close to where it should be. 98-92 for Steve Weisfield, and Dave Moretti had it 97-93. But Patricia Morse-Jarman at 96-94, here we go again. 
bad, bad, typical bad scorecards, TC. And it's one of those things, especially with hers, where I, I kind of wonder if she was even paying attention to the same fight that everyone else was watching, especially if she gave uh, Plant rounds four and ten, which are rounds, if I remember specifically, uh, rounds he was caught flushing uh, completely. So yeah. it makes me wonder what fight she was really watching. And, and in fact, TC, the only round I can really give Plant without a doubt, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned the ninth, the first, I mean, it's whatever. Maybe the second where he caught Canelo clean with that one shot that, that, that looked pretty good on television. But realistically, that was yeah. the end of Caleb Plant's highlight reel at this. Outside of that, there's a conversation that they had in the ring in, in round nine where Canelo lured him to sleep saying, hey, you're pretty good, and then proceeded to knock him out two rounds later. But outside of that, that's really about it for the Caleb Plant highlight reel for this fight. Yeah, I totally agree. Again, you could even make the argument that it could have been a shutout for Canelo Alvarez. All right, Marquise Johns joins us, editor of Big Fight Weekend, talking about Canelo Alvarez's domination over Caleb Plant. Had the 11th round knockout, uh, two knockdowns within a 20-second span. Uh, Marquise, for you, as you're watching this fight unfold, um, we talked about a lot of uh, Canelo Alvarez's highlights, but uh, what stood out for you? Did anything surprise you at this fight, either that the – the lack of production by Kayla Plant or maybe Canelo doing something that you were a little bit surprised about? For me, honestly, TC, it was more of the attack that Plant used in this fight because I was trying to figure out what he was going for. He had the idea early, like staying on the outside. Uh, Once Canelo started walking him down, I think, midway through the first round, I realized that he kind of abandoned a little bit, and I was kind of conf- kind of confused about that, where he had to use, or he, with, with Plant, he, I'm surprised he didn't use his size more, kind of like, like, like he used it at the first press conference that started all of this. I'm really surprised he didn't do more of that in this fight than anything else. He he started with it, and then he all but abandoned it. It kind of reminded me the same way uh, Deontay Wilder abandoned the jab in the, in the third Fury fight, where it was just like non-existent. But other than that, no, this, this fight pretty much played out like we all expected. The one thing I thought was really interesting with how fast Canelo ended the fight that, with the two knockdowns in the 20-second span. It reminded me a lot of the way he took, the way he took out Saunders and Kovalev kind of in a combined fashion in a way because he hit Kovalev with that, that one cross, and that was it. And then we hit Billy Joe Saunders in his eye back in May. That was the end of that as well. It was just the way that these, just, just these fights just abruptly ended from, from the hands of Canelo is just more impressive than anything else. Absolutely. All right, Marquise, we've got to look ahead to a big welterweight fight, one that will definitely be much more competitive than what we saw, but here in uh, Las Vegas at the Mandalay Bay Michelob Ultra Arena, it's going to be Terrence Crawford and Showtime Sean Porter for the uh, welterweight championship of the world. Looking forward to this fight. Let's uh, get some early thoughts on this from you. Uh, looking forward to seeing what uh, approach Sean Porter takes in this fight. The one thing that uh, is well known by Terrence Crawford, and we, we've seen it in the, even, in the, even in the last fight he had against Kell Brook, is the fact that he, he starts off pretty slow, like most uh, great pound-for-pound uh, pound greats currently in boxing, where he takes like the first two rounds off, per se. And it'll be interesting to see if Sean Porter, who's not known as a fast starter, uh, picks up a fast start in this fight. I agree. I agree. And, you know, conventional wisdom says, you know, Sean, with that bulldog mentality and that style could force, you know, the action early on and probably steal a couple of these early rounds, like you said, because Crawford usually will just hang back. He'll paw away with the jab. He'll he'll try to really figure out what his opponent's going to do, conserve that energy for the middle to late rounds. And and you're right. It'll be interesting to see what Sean uh, does, because we've seen Sean actually alter his game plan from fight to fight as well, too. I mean, we've seen fights where he's kind of hung back a little bit and and wasn't the the pure aggressor we saw him do that against ugas uh you know if you remember that where he became more of a boxer and uh, you know he can you know do it all but sean is at its best obviously when he wants to get inside the phone booth and he wants to make it a brawl and i thought you know the way he fought earl spence uh was tactically you know perfect heck if sean you know stay you know stays up in that round number 10 that result could have been totally different as well too i mean he fought Spence so well and then of, of course you know coming off Sean's last fight as well too where he was fantastic all the way around just you know you know pummeling his uh, his opponent but uh, I'm with you man I'm, I can hardly wait for this fight it's going to be a tactical fight we're going to see uh, uh, you know a point in time probably once we get to the middle to late rounds where it's going to be an all-out war. That's why I think so too, CC. And the one thing with, with Crawford that I'm looking forward to seeing is that if, if he still has that same uh, mean streak that he has that they, they had in his previous fights, the one we had against Kavalovskis and the one he had against Kell Brook, that, that's going to be real interesting to see what on Crawford's end of it. And, and to piggyback your point with Porter, the one thing he did in his last fight against uh, in the bubble against uh, Sebastian Formella that I really liked a lot of, even though he didn't knock him down, he hit. 
he hit Formella TC probably with about 4,000 punches. Right. Granted, it is, it's, it's credit to Formella for staying upright, but the average human being doesn't take that many punches. So I'm, I don't think he's going to be able to do all that against Crawford, but it did look great against him nonetheless. You know, you were with me. Uh, you, I think we were standing next to each other when we were watching the press conference at the MGM with yeah. Crawford and Porter. And if to your point of what is Terrence Crawford going to going to do and what's his attitude going to be like we remember that these guys were once close friends and i remember you know talking to Sean way back when where he goes hey i'm not i'm not going to fight Terrence i'm not going to fight him and then all of a sudden you know that changed and if we see the attitude that Crawford brought to that press conference that day that wasn't just for show cuz Crawford is not one of these showy type of guys i mean he's usually pretty yeah. stoic he keeps to himself but when you kind of irritate him then in most opponents really haven't tried to irritate him you know and Sean's not doing it but Crawford does have a little chip on his shoulder here and if he comes with that attitude then maybe we see Crawford pick up the pace a little bit earlier on in this fight and that may actually be changed to change the narrative in terms of what Crawford does in the ring. But no, back at that press conference, the one thing I thought that was really interesting besides the camps is jaw-jacking at each other because that's what the, what camps do, was the fact that Crawford, as you mentioned, TC, really is a stoic guy, kind of kept to himself. I mean, he's gotten better lately in interviews talking about things, but more often than not, like before the last before this pandemic, TC, as you will know, talking to Terrence Crawford was kind of like talking to the Invisible Man, yeah. where you'd get maybe two words out of this guy, and then you'd just stare at you uh, angrily for about 15 minutes. So he's changed a lot of that going on, and I'm glad. And uh, I wonder if that's going to translate when he, if, if, if he picks the pace up against Porter uh, back on the 20th. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see you know which side the crowd is on here as well too, because Sean obviously is such a lovable guy here, and especially you know fighting in Las Vegas for the first time in a long time for him. That's going to be great. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if Porter has a majority of this crowd behind him, uh, you know, coming up here at the Michelob Ultra Arena here in a couple of weeks. That'll be interesting as well too, because uh, Crawford uh, knows the travel as well with, with fans. But yep. no, yep. Sean Porter's the hometown guy, so no, that makes sense too. And I, I wonder with that as well, how, how many folks are going to be at this thing, just in terms of matchups? Because I do, I do think this fight really is to close up the year, especially in the uh, statewide. That's actually one of the bigger ones. Yep, looking forward to it. Marquise Johns. Tell the people where they can find your stuff, man. Big fight weekend. Absolutely, TC. You can find my stuff at BigFightWeekend.com. Uh, your source for all uh, shenanigans, boxing news, past, present, future, do a bunch of historical pieces. Keep an eye on everything going on. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Weeksauce Radio. Keep up the news as well. Any random things boxing news related, anything coming up. Uh, looking forward to seeing what's going on this weekend. Uh, Joseph Parker and Chisora are fighting again. Why, I don't know, but they're doing it again. So I'll keep up with that and amongst everything else. All right, brother. I appreciate the time as always, man. We'll look forward to talking with you real soon. Oh, thanks so much, TC. There he is, Marquise Johns. Big fight weekend. Weak Sauce Radio. There he is. That's his handle. And you're bringing me what? This is not Earth, Wind, and Fire. You got a mariachi version. So you got a little Canelo, a little funk going. Hey, Canelo had his guy. He was, oh, he was, what a ring entrance. I know you probably saw it because I posted it when I was there, but that was a nice little intro. That's what you should have had going out here. Okay. Oh, this is the walkout. There you go. I got you. All right, when we come back, Kevin Kruger's going to join us. He knows a thing or two about music, knows a thing or two about basketball as well, too. He gets ready for his opening night debut Wednesday, UNLV basketball at the Thomas & Mack Center. we got that, Matt Holt, and more next hour.